Big news from the MedVed Show. We just added a 50% off opportunity to an annual basic MedHead subscription. That makes it $29.95 a year. It breaks out to just $2.50 per month. Promo code MEDHEAD. Go to michaelmedved.com and promo code MEDHEAD. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great nation where there is great and encouraging news. At least in my point of view. Uh, headline in the Wall Street Journal. Brand new headline that says a border talks close in on a deal but final approval uncertain well <laughs> lots of stuff in in life and politics is uncertain but this is encouraging uh, tomorrow might finally be here for long-running border talks uh, says the Wall Street Journal after repeatedly raising and then dashing hopes that a deal could be just a day or two away Senate Republican and Democratic negotiators uh, said yesterday that they have largely finalized a package to tighten security at the border good thing including by shutting down the processing of new unscheduled asylum claims when the border becomes overwhelmed. No legislative text has been released, but leaders of both parties uh, said they hope to see it become public soon. Uh, the um, uh, release of the text would be the culmination of months of secretive talks to iron out what both parties say are complex provisions. GOP lawmakers demanded last year that a border deal be the condition for a separate $110.5 billion package that includes aid for Ukraine and Israel. But as talks continued, opposition mounted among conservatives fueled by former President Donald Trump, uh, leaving the bill's fate uncertain. Uh, Chris Murphy, Democrat of Connecticut, said the deal is done. The question that is holding us up is whether Republicans are going to listen to Donald Trump or help solve the border problems. Any deal would need a significant Republican support to have a chance in the GOP-controlled House, where Speaker Mike Johnson... Republican Louisiana, has taken a dim view of the details he has seen so far. Speaking to reporters yesterday, Trump said he told GOP lawmakers that if you're not going to get a great border bill and immigration bill, don't do a bill. Uh, well, the, the idea of putting this off when it could make such a profound difference at a time of a great challenge for the U.S. in terms of foreign policy. In other words, when it comes to the aid that is urgently necessary for Ukraine to continue their resistance to Russian aggression, and that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about not giving up uh, a third or a fourth of Ukrainian territory uh, back to Putin with the confidence that somehow it will be 
uh, done there. It will be finished there. That'll be the end. And then uh, we have peace in our time. Obviously, when a, uh, an, an aggressive uh, dictator like Vladimir Putin uh, meets initial success, uh, that doesn't discourage him from uh, future aggressive actions. Uh, speaking of uh, aggressive actions, uh, there is a NBC is reporting that a conservative news website uh, reported this week on a complaint that accuses Harvard's chief diversity and inclusion officer of plagiarism in a campaign similar to the one that led to Claudine Gay's ouster. The Washington Free Beacon published the complaint filed Monday by an unnamed source accusing uh, Sherry Charleston of 40 instances of plagiarism in her 2009 PhD dissertation and in a 2014 peer-reviewed study published in the Journal of, you'll pardon the expression, it's called the Journal of Negro Education. Much of the scrutinized language in the 343-page dissertation appears to be background information including basic facts like names, dates, numbers, and descriptions, including historical events. The unnamed accuser alleges that Charleston failed to give proper attribution to several authors. Well, this is nothing uh, compared to what is going on uh, for Harvard, which has some worse news even. I, I don't think it was terrible news for Harvard that Claudine Gay went away. Uh, what I do think uh, is bad news for it is um, what's just happened uh, in the last week. Uh, listen. Oh, no, the song to lead in, but... Uh, Good night for Harvard. Harvard. Good night. Okay, that uh, song is just a little bit of nostalgia for me. That is a, uh, a, a Yale fight song, Good Night Per Harvard. Well, Good Night Per Harvard, billionaire Ken Griffin, who gave Harvard $300 million last year, uh, said at a keynote, station, uh, keynote session at the Managed Funds Association in uh, Miami, they had a conference, and... Uh, he uh, he had some demands of Harvard if he was going to continue his giving, which was again three hundred million last year. That's even more than Tom, Trump's law fees. Uh, he uh, asked this about Harvard's future twenty A. The real question is: is will America's and I'm going to I'm going to choose a word here carefully? America's elite university get back to their roots of educating American children, young adults, to be the future leaders of our country? Or are they gonna maintain being lost in the wilderness of microaggressions, a DEI agenda that seems to have no real end game, and, and just being lost in the wilderness? Like, which way are we gonna pick? Are we gonna educate the, the future members, the House and the Senate and the leaders of IBM? Or are we gonna educate a group of, of young men and women who are just caught up in a rhetoric of oppressor and oppressy and this is not fair and frankly just like whiny snowflakes. Like where are we going with education 
in elite schools in America. And that's a really big issue. And then he followed up with the consequences of that really big, big issue. Again, this is someone who gave $300 million last year to Harvard. Uh, listen. What does that mean for you in terms of, of continuing to support the university? I know that after, um, you know, in response to the signatories that, that placed the blame squarely with Israel for the terrorist attacks, um, you said you wouldn't hire anyone from any of those groups. Do you still feel that way? And no, I, I precisely said I would not hire any of the signatures, anybody who signed Signature. the letter, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's very easy to be a member of a club. You and show up for know. drinks and you didn't know, you didn't partake, you weren't asked. And I, I think for those students to be dragged into this is just wrong. Like they, they're their own people, they can make their own decisions. They're not all, don't paint them all with the same brush. But if you sign that letter, no, I'm, I'm not gonna hire you. I don't have to. And are you, are you still supporting Harvard financially? No. <laughs> and, and I'd like that to change. And I've, I've made that clear to members of the, uh, the corporate board. But until Harvard makes it very clear that they're going to resume their role as educating young American men and women to be leaders, to be problem solvers, to take on difficult issues. I'm not interested in supporting the institution. And that's a profound and uh, meaningful message. Good night, poor Harvard. Uh, we will be speaking to Dan Henninger of Wall Street Journal. He has a new column about the uh, Republicans' challenges at the border. Republicans' challenges, Republican border crisis. That coming up on the Medved Show. Big news from the Medved Show. We just added a 50% off opportunity to an annual basic Medhead subscription. That makes it $29.95 a year. It breaks out to just $2.50 per month. Promo code MEDHEAD. Go to michaelmedved.com and promo code MEDHEAD. And on the Michael Medved Show, it's Thursday. That means it's the uh, day for the uh, indispensable Wonderland column by Daniel Henninger at the Wall Street Journal. And today he's taking the same point of view that Dan Crenshaw a uh, congressman from Texas, Republican conservative congressman from Texas, uh, made a, this point just hours ago. He says, we have a bill that on net significantly decreases illegal immigration and we sabotage that. That is, it's inconsistent with what we told our voters we would do. Uh, Dan Crenshaw, what is the Republicans' border crisis that you describe in the headline of uh, your new column? Well, I think the crisis, Michael, is that um, the Republicans seem to have talked themselves into a position. Uh, actually, Donald Trump contributed to much to pushing them in this position of being on the brink of having available a piece of legislation, uh, as Dan Crenshaw suggests, intended to staunch, slow the flow of illegal migrants across the border and 
you have the Republican Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, saying just days ago that this bill would be dead on arrival. Uh, no one has seen the text of the piece of legislation, which I might add is a supplemental tied to increased funding for Israel, Taiwan, and Ukraine. Well, we've been expecting to see the text of this bill at any moment. Um, it would indeed be a compromise, but the Republicans have been screaming bloody murder every day for the last year about the uh, crisis at the border. And it looks as though they now have the prospect of passing something that would slow the flow of these migrants. Over the last two years, Michael, it is a total of 4.7 million who have come across the Rio Grande River. It's an almost incomprehensible number. And the Republicans committed themselves to slowing, if not stopping, ideally stopping that flow. And now they have something at hand that could probably do that. And they seem to have taken the position, many of them, certainly in the House, that they will not have anything to do with this piece of legislation. And my fear is that by doing nothing, it means that the flow across the border, this migrant hydrant, as I called it, will run open for the next 10 months, perhaps another 2 million people coming across the border. And the Republicans are putting themselves in the position of allowing Joe Biden and the Democrats to say, we had a piece of legislation that would at least slow that down, and the Republicans refused to support it. I don't know how they have arranged to put themselves in this uh, on defense on the border. What what do you think is behind uh, most of the people who are opposed, including apparently the Speaker of the House, which is crucial? But uh, is it basically in, in order to give uh, President Trump uh, the issue of immigration that he wants to emphasize uh, rather than giving uh, Biden the opportunity to say, well, we've already made some improvement in the situation. We hope to do more. I mean, is this basically just a question of political messaging? Uh, I'm afraid I'm afraid it is, Michael. Uh, they deny that they're doing it to give uh, Donald Trump uh, an issue to run on. But it's very hard to come to any other conclusion than that. We're heading towards uh, an election in which the candidates would appear to be Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And I know the polling shows Trump uh, somewhat ahead at this moment, but 10 months is a long time. And probably if the last two elections are any indication, this will be a close one, too. And the fact yeah, the, the new, new brand new Quinnipiac poll today shows uh, Trump six points behind Biden. Yeah, that's in an, uh, a national poll. Uh, there's yeah. a, a Bloomberg poll out as well that shows Trump ahead in some of the uh, battleground states. But it's going to be close. And indeed, Joe Biden's numbers on migration, the border, are really awful. They are underwater. It's a big problem for him. And yet, as we saw in the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primaries, it's become virtually the number one or two issue on people's minds. Um the Republicans had a lot to do with elevating this issue. They've succeeded in doing that. But to, at this point, to say they want to keep the border open merely to have a political issue to run against Joe Biden over the next 10 months just strikes me as irresponsible. 
Um, what uh, what could the Biden administration do, if anything, to actually preserve the bipartisan agreement that uh, that you cite was negotiated primarily by James Langford, who's one of the most conservative, uh, a Christian conservative members of the U.S. Senate? Well, I think Joe Biden has said if the legislation is passed, he will sign it and start uh, shutting down the border flow tomorrow. I do believe that the Republicans are entitled to not trust Joe Biden uh, on this. He has a problem with his progressive base. They won't like something like this. Biden has shown, uh, for instance, in the continuing pressure on Israel, that he's willing to try to mollify that left-wing base in his party. Uh, So the burden would be on the Republicans to press Biden to enforce the terms of any legislation that included uh, slowing the flow across the border. I argue in the column that if as is possible, Joe Biden reneges and uh, really doesn't step up and enforce this legislation on the border, then the issue reverts to the Republicans. They have the same argument they have right now about Joe Biden and Alberto Mayorkas's uh, refusal to uh, to uh, enforce the border. Uh, how do you feel about the drive at, at this particular moment? to impeach uh, Secretary Mayorkas. Uh, Not likely he will be removed from office given the Democratic majority in the Senate, is it? No, I don't think so. And you know what? I I do not support that. Um, It's tit for tat. The problem is if they were to impeach Mayorkas, it sets a precedent. Uh, It's been well over 100 years since a cabinet secretary was impeached. And even Democrats at the hearing yesterday, the impeachment hearings on Mayorkas, one or two of them said, if this happens, it is inevitable that when we gain power, we're going to do the same to a Republican cabinet secretary, say a Trump cabinet secretary. And you must assume that something like that would happen. And our our, our politics in some way has degraded into in making impeachment just simply something another day at the office that they do in Congress. It's the, it's and the and by the way, the, the only cabinet secretary ever in American history to be impeached was Secretary Belknap in the Grant administration, and he wasn't removed from office. He resigned. He survived five different Senate votes. Uh, more coming up on the MedVed Show. Daniel Henninger's outstanding column is posted on our website at michaelmedved.com. We'll be right back. Michael Medved show uh, talking about the ongoing dispute about the compromise bill to try to enhance border security and to slow, at least, if not stop altogether, the uh, unchanneled uh, stream tidal wave of uh, unauthorized immigrants. Uh, Dan Crenshaw. 
former Navy SEAL, a member of Congress from Texas, rising star in the Republican Party. He uh, spoke about why his GOP colleagues who are set on uh, blocking this uh, immigration reform bill are displaying the height of stupidity. Listen. The height of stupidity is having a strong opinion on something you know nothing about. I'm I'm extremely disappointed in the very strange maneuvering by many on the right to to, to torpedo uh, a potential border reform bill. If we have a bill that on net significantly decreases illegal immigration and we sabotage that, that is that is inconsistent with what we told our voters we would do. People will make up whatever reasons they, they want to. There's a number of them, I'm sure. But it would be a, a pretty unacceptable dereliction of, of your duty. And uh, he is so completely right. And it's so essential to, to get this message. Uh, Dan Henninger, we just spoke to, writes, if the Republicans have been screaming bloody murder about migrant crossings and are on the brink of the impeaching of uh, Secretary Mayorkas for not doing his duty, how can they justify allowing the Mayorkas policy to continue unabated all this year uh the party especially in the house is self-branding as politicians whose only reason for being is to turn public issues into addictive rage and internet fundraising a republican do-nothing decision he writes to let the border bleed across the next 10 months allows Mr. Biden and Democrats to tee up the entire party as a reject-everything Trump MAGA caricature rather than a GOP capable of governing. And uh, speaking about capable of governing, we began this morning with uh, some of the words of the Senate chaplain, who obviously his job is to work and maybe provide some spiritual sustenance for the members of the Senate. And that chapman, the 66th chapman of the U.S. Senate, chaplain of the U.S. Senate, uh, is named uh, Barry Black. And he spoke this morning. He gave a very moving uh, sermon at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. Listen to Chaplain Black talking about all of the prayer that he sees around Congress. And I responded, well, you know, we have some saints in Caesar's household. What are you talking about? We're talking Capitol Hill, Barrett. I said, what you don't know is every week at the legislative branches in session, they meet for a prayer breakfast, both sides of the aisle. And representatives and senators talk about their faith pilgrimage. What? Now, what you don't know is every week, I I say, I've been doing this, it'll be 21 years in July. Every week on Capitol Hill, there's saints in Caesar's household. I teach a Bible study and senators from both sides of the aisle come to that Bible study. And I said, there's one senator who's missed one Bible study in 19 years. She said, who is that? I said, that's classified. (laughs) 
I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you after I told you. I don't need to know the name that, all right? He uh, then talked about prayer and fasting on the part of U.S. senators. I said, what you don't know is that. On February 24th, 2022, when Russia invaded Ukraine, hundreds of people on Capitol Hill began to fast and pray. He said, what? I said, what you don't know is on October 7th, 2023, when the Palestinian Sunni Islamic group Hamas, I didn't put it quite like that there, led a surprise attack against Israel from the Gaza Strip by land, sea, and air. People on Capitol Hill were continuing to fast and pray. What you don't know is that in the last two presidential elections, People on Capitol Hill were fasting and praying. I'm talking about representatives, senators, chiefs of staff, waiters, waitresses, janitors were fasting and praying. Hundreds of us have been doing that. Okay, uh, this is uh, a, a very powerful and very welcome message. And again, it offers a contrast to the subject of a Wall Street Journal editorial today, which is uh, the headline, The Taylor Swift PSYOP. Populist paranoia on the Trump right takes an even more bizarre turn. The background is that uh, Taylor Swift has been dating Travis Kelsey, the tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, who are going to the Super Bowl after an upset win this past Sunday. The 34-year-old singer, they mention her age because she's still one year too young to run for president. The 34-year-old singer uh, endorsed President Biden in 2020. And news reports say the White House hopes she'll do the same this year. Connect the dots, sheeple. I wonder who's going to win the Super Bowl next month, Vivek Ramaswamy wrote recently on social media. And I wonder if there's a major presidential endorsement coming from an artificially, culturally propped up couple this fall. He told the New York Times he is serious. What your kind of people call conspiracy theories, he said, I simply call an amalgam of collective incentives hiding in plain sight. One internet pundit has posted a video with hundreds of thousands of views claiming that Taylor Swift's relationship with Mr. Kelsey is a fake psyop. This yarn involves the CIA because, of course, as well as George Soros, well, because, of course, the story is that the Super Bowl on February 11th will be rigged so the Chiefs win in a dramatic fashion. Ms. Swift and Mr. Kelsey will get engaged. That way, they'll be at peak influence to cut a joint October ad for Joe Biden. Okay, yet the paranoia of the right about a romance between the most popular singer in the universe and an NFL player does make Republicans seem, frankly, weird. Americans who want to return to normalcy won't find it 
in a movement that demonizes two of America's healthier entertainments. Mean, maybe the Chiefs will win the Super Bowl, or maybe not. Maybe Ms. Swift and Mr. Kelsey will live happily ever after in a social world historical uh, setback for the art form of breakup songs, or maybe not. Maybe she will endorse Mr. Biden again, or maybe not. But the CIA isn't orchestrating it all, and neither are the Illuminati, the Freemasons, Elvis, JFK, Bigfoot, Skull and Bones, Opus Dei, or alien lizard people living among us. A question, though, for the trolls. If they believe defeating Mr. Trump is so easy that Mr. Biden can do it merely by getting an endorsement from a singer who backed him in 2020, doesn't that suggest the GOP might be making a mistake by nominating such a weak candidate? It's an open question. Uh, We will be right back on The Medved Show. Receive 50% off by becoming a MedHead member. Look, it's a, it's a no-brainer. Join now at michaelmedved.com. show a great day coming up to the weekend for you to subscribe to our new Substack newsletter uh, Michael Medved's Context uh, placing today's big events in the perspective of our past and our future right now we have up there on Substack a uh, remarkable interview that uh, we just conducted with George Will a legendary conservative columnist about the political position at the moment of the Republican Party and where that party is going. Uh, You can see that exchange with George Will. Uh, You can hear that exchange with George Will by uh, going to michaelmedved.substack.com and sign up today for uh, our uncensored take on current controversies. That's at michaelmedved.substack.com. One of the other... Uh, sources that we've uh, spoken to recently is uh, John Bolton, the former national security advisor uh, for President Trump. And uh, he has a column today in the Wall Street Journal that is full of important insight and messages. And he talks about uh, when I became President Trump's national security advisor, he writes, in 2018, I assumed the gravity of his responsibilities would discipline even him. I was wrong. His erratic approach to governance and his dangerous ideas gravely threaten American security. Republican primary voters should take note, says John Bolton. He writes, Mr. Trump's most dangerous legacy is the spread of the isolationist virus in the Republican Party. The Democrats long ago adopted an incoherent melding of isolationism with indiscriminate multilateralism. If isolationism becomes the dominant view among Republicans, America is in deep trouble. And uh, on the air with us, 
he said this about what other world leaders think of President Trump. Well, I think uh, the hard men of history, like Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping, uh, understand what their job is for their respective country. I don't think Trump understands what the job of the presidency is for ours. And I will say, having been in the room with him uh, in meeting those people, uh, having listened in on his phone conversations, uh, I don't think they uh, are really friendly with Donald Trump. I think they think... Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un and others, they think he's a laughing fool. And they're fully prepared to take advantage of him. Trump's self-absorption makes it impossible for him to understand that. So you think they'd be happy if he returned to the Oval Office? Yeah, I think they, I think they believe he's an easy mark. Take, take Vladimir Putin on the, on the situation in Ukraine. Uh, I think he'd love to get uh, Donald Trump to do what he said on the campaign trail and try and find uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky and Putin, get all three of them in a room together. And Trump says, I'll solve the crisis in 24 hours. That is impossible. Uh, and But when you come to the end of the 24 hours, obviously it won't be Donald Trump that failed because that doesn't happen. It must be one of the other two. I think he would point the finger at Zelensky. I think Putin would be delighted with the outcome at that point. Uh, that is a scary thought. The other scary thought is raised by uh, Nikki Haley, who uh, it's points out in the New York Times, she is now 52 years old, and uh, she has consistently pitched herself as a new generational leader for the Republican Party. In a new series entitled Grumpy Old Men, the Haley campaign yesterday announced plans to start unveiling online videos, digital ads, and voter emails that will underscore the ways in which Ms. Haley has argued that the two-party frontrunners are alike. The episodes with titles like Stumbling Seniors, Basement Buddies, and Profligate Pals take shots at, among other things, her rival signs of mental confusion. Uh, that means for both Joe Biden and Donald Trump, their light presence on the campaign trail, and their economic policies leading to high inflation. Uh, Ms. Haley, 52, who served as the United Nations ambassador under Trump, has consistently pitched herself as a new generational leader for her party and called for mental competency tests for candidates who are 75 or older. Yet until recently, she has taken a careful approach toward both men and their age. Her most pointed attacks on the issue have been against Mr. Biden, though she often tells her audiences that she is not being disrespectful. We all know 75-year-olds that can run circles around us, she often says on the stump. And then we know Joe Biden. Uh, meanwhile, she... Uh, says that uh, they say in the New York Times she's been even less inclined to go after Mr. Trump. She directly criticized him as being in mental decline for the first time only this month after he appeared to confuse her for Nancy Pelosi. Uh, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley said her name four times in a row. The former House Speaker. Days later and just hours after the polls opened for the New Hampshire primary on January 23rd, she told reporters that she believed that uh, Trump was mentally fit to be president, but she has nevertheless ramped up her critiques of his mental acuity. <clears throat> On Saturday, 
in uh, Malden, South Carolina, she recalled his reaction to her momentum in New Hampshire as uh, totally unhinged. Uh, meanwhile, when it comes to being totally unhinged, there's a, a film that is a, um, a big contender for major Oscars, uh, particularly Best Actor. And uh, it's a film that I found enormously enjoyable and one of the very best of the year. Movie called American Fiction. Listen. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. Jeffrey Wright plays a college professor struggling as a novelist who's told that he can only succeed if he fills his work with more black stereotypes. That's the premise for the sly new comedy, American Fiction. Deadbeat dads, rappers, crack. You said you wanted black stuff. That's black, right? I see what you're doing. The dumber I behave, the richer I get. Filled with marvelous performances by Tracy Ellis Ross, Leslie Uggams, and especially Jeffrey Wright, who's Oscar-worthy, this movie is simultaneously deeply touching and undeniably hilarious. Based on the novel Erasure and focusing on one-dimensional white views of what it means to be black, it's rated R mostly for language, especially Especially the F word, which plays a prominent role in the proceedings. Three stars for the original, impressive, and thought-provoking American fiction. Now playing in theaters. And uh, and and uh, now uh, nominated again for very important Oscars coming up with uh, that ceremony.